there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Uh, last week, I was out at the Rat Race in Oregon and got to witness something pretty special. Uh, a good friend of mine, Nick Grease, who we've had on the show before, just dominated. We had seven out of seven days, a bunch of really good tasks, some of them pretty tough, uh, not what I would call classic conditions. Uh, we are dealing with quite a bit of wind and stuff, so it was certainly a challenge, uh, but also a ton of fun. And uh, it's hard to to uh, stay on top for seven days, but that's what Nick did, and uh, he won with grace and style. And so I invited Nick to come back onto the show because uh, he literally went from zero to hero here. In the PwC down in Brazil a month ago, he got dead last, which is pretty hard to do. And uh, but he did. He got dead last after uh, the Pan Ams down there, which he was also dominating early, and then had a couple bad days and fell fell off there. And so. Uh, we talk about headspace. We talk about some of the. He he saw a really terrifically bad accident flying in Kenya with Cedar Wright um, back in January, February, I believe. And uh, so it was dealing with some PTSD uh, that I think many of us have dealt with in our sport, unfortunately. So. Um, yeah, we talk about headspace and psychology and strategy and discipline. And uh, this was basically, you know, as we kind of get into the comp scene in the Northern Hemisphere summer, I thought it'd be a really timely time to talk to Nick about comps. He's been doing it almost 20 years. Um, he got into it in a very special, funny, unique way, which we covered a little bit on the first show with him back a couple years ago, but we get into it again on this one. And uh, yeah, I just think you're really going to enjoy this. Also, a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the show. Ushba and I and Nick, and we've all been working on this insurance thing, and uh, Nick talks about it a little bit at the end of the show, but we've come up with what we think is kind of the best solution through Global Rescue and IMG and that doesn't have any uh, exclusions for our sport. We're still working with them on competitions and some other stuff, so we'll get back to you on that. But if you are traveling and you'll be more than 100 miles from home, uh, these are great solutions. You can find out more on my website, cloudbasedmayhem.com, and just do a search for insurance. You can see that there. There are links to it, but there will soon be links through Ushba if you're an Ushba member that will get you a discount and some other good stuff. So really psyched on that. We've been working on that for months and months and months, and uh, it's nice to have kind of a one-stop solution that will that is available now and will soon, we hope, also have competitions covered. So exciting news there. Uh, what else? A good friend of mine, Evan Bouchier, has a couple friends who are who broke away from Black Diamond a little bit ago, and they're making these really cool gloves. He was selling them at Rat Race. Uh, they're a direct, you know, so they're kind of cut out the middleman, so they're super reasonable and uh, really well made. They're called Truck Gloves. You can find them on truckgloves.com and they're offering a 10% discount to our listeners right now, and they've got mitts. They've got every kind of range, and they're actually going to be coming out with a paragliding specific glove but i used them at the race they're awesome i wouldn't call them you know a full winter glove or spring glove you know they're they're more you know for racing or for when it's not super super cold but you know really well put together uh, great feel really comfortable and you can just order them direct and if you go to their website uh, truckgloves.com right now and put in the discount code cloudbase mayhem uh, two separate words, then you'll get 10% off. Again, that code is Cloudbase Mayhem, and the website is truckgloves.com. One other bit of housekeeping, cloudbasemayhem.com. If you go to that website, you can see our store. Uh, I've got some killer new women's shirts, a new color from Patagonia. 
Uh, these are all organic, fair trade, you know, classic Patagonia stuff, lasts forever. It's got our cloud-based mayhem logo and stuff on the back. And then our great hats by Annika Hurden, uh, her recaps, which were a big hit out at the rat race. These are the coolest trucker hats ever. So uh, really psyched to be sporting those and a great way for you to support the show. And uh, let's get into it. Without further delay, uh, please enjoy this very cool talk with my good friend, Nick Reese. Nick, awesome to have you back on the show. It was so fun racing around the skies with you last week at the Rat Race, seven out of seven days. That was pretty incredible, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out. I understand you're on a little road trip or traveling right now, so uh, but sounds pretty good in your car. And uh, just psyched to sit down and talk to you and about going from zero to hero. You're uh, you've had quite a, a a run in the competition scene lately, down in the PWC, and now and just scoring at the rat race so congratulations and i can't wait to talk about it <laughs> thanks yeah yeah it's been it's been a journey i think a, a full spectrum uh result <laughs> yeah i'll say so um before we get into these last couple comps because i want to talk kind of big picture comps and psychology and all the stuff and you've also been through some kind of hairy stuff this year um, but before that, we talked about this a little bit in the first podcast and people can listen to that and to get a refresher, but, um, take me back, I think almost 20 years now to your kind of first comp. How did you get into comps? Uh, cause it's quite a funny story. And then, uh, and we, then we can fast forward to, uh, to the rat race. Yeah. So I, I originally started flying, I started flying in 2001 and, you know, quickly became obsessed, just full obsession. Uh, you know, that people kind of sometimes, oh, well. You know, you seem to be decent at the sport. How did you get so good? And and I think you know uh, Gladwell's ten thousand hour rule, you know, kicks in with a lot of us. And I know Gavin, you were similar. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I've witnessed your obsession. Um, and you know, now you know we have some other people that call it Skycrack, or you know, which is probably fitting. Um, <laughs> but after getting into it and flying a bunch, I, I realized um, wow, these competitions seem like the best money I can spend to get any kind of help or mentoring I could find. Um, 20 years ago, it was really hard to find mentors. I don't know if it's because they were few and far between or uh, people were uh, reticent to share or, or what, but it, I just remember having a hell of a time finding a mentor or anybody that would tell me anything. Uh, and so competition seemed like the way forward. Uh, so I actually ended up traveling for you know a year with my paraglider at some point. I decided that, um, because of, you know, watching, uh, Felix Volk in cross country, uh, jump off a dam in his hang glider. And then Bob Drury's article in cross country about this Ridge Zagora in Morocco that I actually was just playing marbles, which I thought I was, you know, play, being really cool and flying paragliders, but, but actually I was just playing marbles and that I needed to go get some. So I sold my possessions and traveled for a year flying. And during that time, uh, I ended up, uh, stumbling kind of onto a world cup in Aptenau, Austria. Uh, and you know, these are the, the best and the brightest of, of paragliding Bruce Goldsmith and Norman Losh and, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, big stars and, uh, but I didn't have any money. So I, I decided instead of entering, uh, you know, which I couldn't anyway, but, this, uh, I just would sneak into the meals first of all, to get food. And then, uh, I would sneak up to, I would kind of ask, Oh, what turn point are you going to? you know, where are your turn points today? And, and someone would tell me, and then I'd hike up to one and just punch into it, into the race as soon as I would see the field coming. 
Uh, and so that was kind of the first comp, I guess, that I didn't enter, but was at. Uh, eventually, I got caught uh, by the organization um, because uh, you needed to go up a lift one day because uh, they weren't taking buses. I was sneaking on the buses, too, to get to launch sometimes. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they, they're like, oh, well, today, we, you know, you have to take a lift. So we have to pay for the lift. So every name has to be checked off. So I went and I figured out who wasn't at the race, but was signed up. And the only person I could find was Jin, uh, <laughs> the famous Jin song. And so, uh, I was like, well, fuck, you know, let's try it. So I, you know, they got up to the, the, the gate to go into the lift, like name. And I'm like, Jin Seok song. <laughs> and they just looked at me like I was, you know, <laughs> a crazy person. I, I thought it was worth a go. You know, I don't, I guess I didn't quite realize how famous he was at that time. I was still relatively new to paragliding. Um, and that I don't look Asian, in fact. <laughs> so that that also, I think, played into it. Not even a little uh, bit. But anyway, they, they allowed me to be a wind dummy. They're like, no, you're, you can you can come because you're crazy, but you can, we need a wind dummy. So anyway, I did that. But that was, so that was kind of how it started. And actually, uh, there's a guy, Ur Schonauer. I remember, I remember the World Cup then was, was kind of a hippie scene. It was different than now. Um, it was it was much more, I think, continental, and and people would just follow the whole thing. You know, Martin Orlick and or Schonauer, Andy Bierenstiel, all these names. Um, you know, would follow the whole thing in their vans all summer, um, and it was just you know, it's kind of more of a a, a, a tour that people could just uh, drive to. Um, so Ur Schonauer was, I remember to this day, was you know, he, he was amazed at what I was doing. He's like, one day you should do the World Cups, you know. Um, so he's actually coming in in a week, and I'm going to show him around the U.S., and then we're going to go to Chelan. So it'd be cool to you know see him again. The the magic to me of something like the Rat Race is it's kind of solved this mentoring problem. You know, you've got the sprint and the clinic, and then the race. And you know, every day at this race last week, you you got you know some of the pilots together and and gave these amazing talks uh, with all kinds of advice. You know, so it's you know kind of solving that problem to an extent of the mentoring thing. But what do you, what would you say to the listeners of the show that are maybe thinking about doing their first comp or maybe nervous about comps or, are, 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 have you learned over all these years, are, are comps good for flying? Are they a good strategy? Are they a good thing to get into? Any warnings maybe? Yeah, look, I, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about competitions for sure. Um, I think comps are fantastic learning opportunities. I think, you know, when I first, by the time I was doing comps, I could, you know, do helicopters. Uh, I could stall my glider. Uh, I could, you know, I was flying 30 to 50 mile cross country flights. Um, so I think that getting into competition flying at the right time is very important. I think not, you know, no, this is, and it depends on the competition. There's, there's great, you know, the Chabra Open or Ozone puts on some, some, you know, entry level competitions. The Rat Race has a sprint. That's an entry level competition. That those would be great earlier, um, but full on competition, I think, um, you should be very comfortable, you know, flying, launching, and landing anywhere, uh, because, uh, you know, as we say, it's a cross country competition. So it's you're still the first thing we're doing is flying cross country. And the cross country, the skills to me are launch, be able to launch safely in any condition and be able to land safely in very, you know, in, in almost any landing field. Um, and so, because, uh, right, those are the two times that it actually matters in terms of, you know, how close to earth you are. Uh, so as long as you can do those things, I think competitions are fantastic places to learn. Um, and again, you know, at, at competitions, I always remind people to, to, you know, be hard on yourself. There's nothing wrong with being hard on yourself, but don't beat yourself up. So, the, the, and that means there's plenty of lessons to be learned 
take the lessons as they come, you know, process them, talk with more experienced pilots. And then once you process the information, you let it go. Um, and, and that's where you don't beat yourself up. Um, and so I think that's the, you know, the best way, but you know, for 500, when well, the U S are a lot, but $500 a week, you get a full cross country clinic, you know, and, and, you know, when you land, you know, look at your track, look how you did. If you have questions during it, find someone who did it successfully, process it with them. You know, don't just, uh, you know, get, oh, that was cool and go grab a beer and then, uh, you know, on to the social part of our sport. You know, utilize it uh, for what it is, is you know, is, is this learning opportunity um, because there'll be plenty of time for the social aspect. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I did find it interesting. Even at the rat race, we do we do lectures every day on launch and we say, OK, come, you know, and I try to challenge people that we're not just going to, you know, regurgitate to you the platitudes and bumper stickers. Like, you know, you can't win a comp on the first day, but you can lose it. Um, we're going to try to, you know, or, you know, uh, <laughs> when in doubt, whip it out, whatever you're, we're trying to ask people questions from the days they had. And, and, and by the last day, no one had a single question, mm. you know? Yeah, that was pretty and, cool. and I found that kind of interesting, you know, where I'm like, really? Okay. You guys are all, cause I don't see many of you in goal, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but, but they, you know, it's kind of funny. It's uh, so maybe people were maxed out. I mean, seven days is a long time and they were, they were non-traditional uh, conditions. They weren't classically good conditions. Um, and so, uh, maybe everybody was tired and, you know, and all that. But I, I, I think what happens is that we have a tremendous mixture of a sport and aviation. And I think a lot of times the sport social part takes over where aviation should be in the sense that, you know, like in this case, people, should, if I were somebody in that position, I, and when you look, when I look back on my earlier times uh, in my progression, I have my log books and every, after every flight, as soon as I would land, I would fill in all the things I did well and all the things I did poorly. Um, and therefore, if I went to launch and somebody, a panel of people like Gavin McClurg and Mitch Riley and, you know, um, Jared Anderson were there, I would have my list written down. Oh, I have a question. <laughs> You know, and so I, I did find it interesting that, you know, like I said, by the end, uh, and I think it's because uh, sometimes the sport takes over um, and whereas people, in my opinion, should be focusing more on aviation. Mm. Uh, what about the, like the, let's, let's talk a little bit about, fast forward to your last couple months. Um, you know, you went down to the Pan Ams, you crushed the first couple days and had a couple really bad days. Uh and and then immediately went to the PwC and and I'm not making fun of you, but that you got dead last. That was pretty epic. Uh, that that's hard to do. And uh, it's and we, really hard to do. That's really yeah. hard to do. So I and then and then you came back to the red race and just dominated. And so I mean, take me through that whole. You know the we always talk about this, you know, the paragliding has the ups and downs, just like we climb and we sink in a paraglider. It's the same in your head. Um, and, and I know that you're intimate with those kind of things. What, what are you, you know, take me through that whole, how did you come back from that and what happened and what, and, you know, how did you get yeah. last? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting tale. I mean, I look paragliding is, you know, I call her the most, you know, um, manic, manic temptress ever. Um, in the sense that, you know, the highs are incredibly high and the lows are often very low, you know, often all the ultimate low, uh, for some. Hmm. Uh, so I basically, for me, it's, you know, um, we ebb and flow and I I've had just health issues actually over the past three years, um, in terms of my body falling apart, you know, I call it running out of talent, but, um, you know, basically my back went out, uh, at the Colombian world championships and I had to have back surgery. I came back from that. And then, 
crashed, uh, you know, basically fell over running, which is pretty funny and tore and, and, and hurt my shoulder. Uh, and so that's the, anyway, so it's low level, you know, body stuff, but then, uh, you know, basically in, and uh, when did we go in December? I went to Kenya. There was a fatality there that, you know, of a, um, a tandem fatality. And so, um, we were dealing, you know, we had to deal with the body recoveries, uh, and, and, you know, it's ultimately, you know, like I said, it was just this horrible, tragic, you know, experience and, and part of paragliding that's always been, you know, I've, I've always dealt with rescues or had to deal, but I've, I've luckily in 20 years, this is the first full body recovery that, that I've had to help perform. Um, so, you know, basically we came back from that and, and I had PTSD. I'm sure everybody who dealt with it, you know, and obviously the ultimate sacrifice was by the pilots. I'm not, you know, and that, and that's part of PTSD though, um, is that, you know, the whole time like, well, but I'm alive and, and it's, uh, and so why I shouldn't, I have no business complaining about anything. And so I think in paragliding, I think that's something that all of us deal with, um, to some extent, uh, unfortunately, uh, over and over. And I think, you know, I, I luckily I, I was able to talk to some people that gave me some really good advice uh, about that. And, you know, and like I said, I, I still the, the, the ultimate sorrow is, is for the pilot and the passenger. And, and, and I still uh, think about them and 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 hope, you know, I never see that again. But but, uh, you know, for for me coming back as a, as a survivor and and dealing with it, um you know, it took me a few months to even, you know, talk about it. And then, uh, you know, once we started talking about it, I was told, given some important information to find other people who've experienced this and talk with them about it and talk candidly and, and, and don't be afraid to talk about it. And so for me, that was, that was a huge thing that I needed to, in order for me to, you know, and, and it wasn't that, uh, you know, flying is in the, in proportion to, to life is obviously not, not very high on that, that, that scale. But in terms of me getting back in the sky, I was flying and I was flying fine. I was flying about, you know, the, the same, but I was, I, I had my head in the sand. So I was flying with kind of part with, with part, that part cordoned off and, and pretty much just, you know, moving forward just with the mechanical parts of it, but not really, you know, kind of not really enjoying it uh, tremendously. Was it something like you felt like you, you, you just needed to go do because you're a pilot and you weren't, then you're, then you'd be flying and be like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Or can you describe that more? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Um, yeah. I mean, it's for me, I, when things like that happen, like the next day I put my head in the sand, I flew 230 kilometer triangle or something. It, it, it flying can help me escape that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately those things start to build up inside. And, and in terms of performance, I think it was really, that was the first step of, of me shutting down and really needing to kind of reprocess all these things. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've gone through these, these times where, you know, I feel like, oh, the weather, the forecast is good. I should go fly because I'm a pilot and I should be training and I should right. be practicing. And then I yes. go fly and I'm yes. like, what am I doing? You know, I'm just, I'm not even, I'm yes. not enjoying it. I'm scared or, you know, I, yep. you know, we, we go through these ebbs and flows like you've talked about, but is that, is that, is that tied into the PSD that you had? Or were you, were you kind of, was that, am I reading it right? Is that what you were kind of doing or was it more just like, well, you were just no, ignoring no, I mean, the I, PTSD. Like the next day you just ignored it. Head in the sand, just went flying. Yeah. Yeah. Head in the sand. But no, that, I mean, Gavin, that's an incredibly astute point. And that, that all plays into this because it's basically about, it's about, you know, 
that happens to me, yes. That that not from this particular occurrence, but I that has happened to me over the last twenty years. Especially people like you, myself, like we uh, now on my career is paragliding. Yeah. Um and you know, sometimes I you know, I called Bill Belcourt after the third thing, which I'll you know, that in this list of this year of horrible things to happen around me. Uh, and, and kind of, you know, saying like, I don't know if I can, con- I don't know why I do this. I don't know if I can continue to do this. Uh, you know, um, I love flying, but I, I love my family. I love life. I love mountain, you know, I love being on this planet. And, and I think a lot of us deal with that or, or don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is the head in the sand technique. Um, but I think that we all, you know, a lot of us who are, who, are, who have been in this a while, um, now and, and uh, you know, it starts to add up. Uh, in terms of, wow, this is, you know, there, there is, we know it's risky. We're not, you know, we're not diluted. We know um, that it can be dangerous. Um, and, and it always has been worth it to me. The amount of joy, the highs, you know, were worth the lows, but at some point, you know, when things keep piling up on, on us and I, and I've seen this with a lot of our friends over the years that we start to really try to see like the balances don't seem like they're, you know, tipped. The lows seem to, you know, are outweighing the highs. Yeah, it's, it, it gets so, more difficult to rationalize, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, you just had a kid. I mean, I, I, I imagine that, totally. you know, that it would be a factor to me as well. Yep. You know, whereas totally. when I was a single guy, uh, in Jackson, there was times that this is before spots and, and DeLorme's I could care less. I was like, I'm fine. I was missing for two days once. Um, and I would fly over the Absarokas with no tracking, you know, and I was thinking, wow, the search pattern is going to be like 4,000 square miles, you know, if I'm missing. <laughs> um, and you know, there's no, we had no DeLorme's, no spots and, and I could care less. But, you know, as I've aged, right, I mean, uh, A, I didn't think I would live this long. Otherwise, I probably would have done more yoga. Uh, and B, uh, you know, uh, we just get a little smarter, right, Like that we're, and more wise. And so it, it gets harder when these, you know, incidents are upfront, personal, um, to rationalize why we're doing it. And, and obviously, to perform well. In any, you know, to take it to performance, where which is, a, I know it's a stretch and a weird, you know, connection, but you need to be centered, and so that was, you know, this was like, you know, kind of the first block in the in the uncentering for me. Before we before we go from there, can you tell me about the advice? You said you got some really good advice, and, and maybe just you know, tell us also what is PTSD in this situation? Like describe. Well, yeah, post traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder. So for, you know, and, and you can, everybody should look this up. Um, and you know, obviously we come from America, uh, Gavin and I, and so because we're such a worry population, we, this is a common phrase in our culture, um, because we have our, all our poor soldiers returning. A lot of them have PTSD and basically it's, uh, you know, the, the advice I got, like I said, was to, Talk to go find, you know, find other people who have been in the same similar situation and talk about all the details, all the things that are tripping you up, you know, to 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 just talk constantly about it with them and to and also to acknowledge it and to accept it and give it space in your in your life so that you can then, you know, try to climb over it. And you're, you will always live with these experiences. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. Um, but you can, you know, climb over that and, and move forward and, and come, come to some peace and understanding about it. I think I can mm. within, within myself and with the context, but you know, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, I see it almost like cancer, uh, in the sense that these things will always be a part of you. And there, there could be a recurrence at any time you know, when you see something else that will trigger this. So it's also acknowledging that, like I said, just 
being open to it and understanding and, and, uh, and, de- and dealing with it and not just putting your head in the sand. Mm. And so that's, those are, those, that's my advice, but you know, that's from an amateur, uh, you know. No, but I like uh, that. I mean, and, and then were you, was your head still in the sand when you went to Brazil or were you more kind of, had you had the talks with Belcourt and. Well, no, no. So there I was still, this is before I needed uh, old Yoda. Um, but, uh, so yeah, this, I, you know, I, I was kind of back to, you know, I've been dealt with it. I processed it. Um, you know, my, my, my close people had to kind of help me take the brunt of it. Uh, and then, um, and then we're, you know, on to Brazil and I was feeling good and happy. I was with my friends in the first few days. Uh, you know, the first day was, went, went well, I, I got second and then, you know, someone, someone died you know, uh, during the comp, um, a a Brazilian pilot. And so again, you start to, and I didn't see it. I wasn't a part of it. Um, I was well past there. I I didn't even know what happened when I, you know, I came into land, but again, like I said, that balance, those scales, right. We start to eye them up again and then evaluating, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing this? Um, and then I, you know, I, I had another good day, but I could definitely, that was another, that was kind of a chink in the armor, you know? And then I just kind of had a couple bad days, but I did have one of the most adventurous days uh, while I was there, which included a four-hour hike where I went a mile and a half. Um, what? You know, what? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, and I was hiking the entire time. So yeah, like belly, I lost a lot of my dignity in in Brazil uh, that trip, um, including belly crawling for an hour, you know, over reeds. Uh, you know, pulling my glider behind me uh, because otherwise it would sink me up to my chest in water. So you're just um, in a massive yeah. swamp, a reed swamp or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I hope there's not snakes. Um, I'm like, I'm going to die if I get bit by something poisonous. There's no one there. I'm not going to be able to get out of here. But uh, anyway, so that didn't go well. And then uh, and then basically uh, my... Um, my girlfriend came to Brazil. We went traveling. Uh, I got really drunk the last night celebrating our trip and just slept all night really funny on my shoulder. My shoulder has been hurting me for years. Uh, and so by the time the, I got to the World Cup, it hurt, you know, just sitting there. I couldn't I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't, you know, any of that. And I just started you know, basically when, when you're in pain like that, that, that for me, I've, and it's, I've experienced it once before with my back, chronic pain and paradigm for me mean uh, no patience. So anytime, you know, you kind of, you're like, well, just forget it. I'm just going to go. If you know, you're like, I'm high enough. I'm going to go. Um, so there was that. And then no, there was so just no the discipline. Fact that, uh, I, no discipline. Right. It, it goes out the window because you, you just want the day to be over. You want the pain to end, mm. you know? Yeah. But also, I mean, I'm not going to blame it all on that. I also was just not having a good competition. And that was, I mean, there were some classic, you know, moments of bad decision mixed with, you know, kind of bad luck where I'd, you know, I'd fly to a giant, you know, in Brazil, there'd be thermals marked by birds that go thousands of feet high. And I'd fly to that thermal, there'd be 2000 feet of birds climbing, you know, and they'd all fly away together, you know, <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that where you're like, Oops. what the f- this- yeah. <laughs> good timing so I'd land. yeah yeah i'm like all right because i didn't have a lot of discipline i wasn't high and then i'd be like boom 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 landing um 
Uh, and then, you know, Mickey Siegel actually said a funny thing to me, too. He's like, now when I see you, Nick, I know to go the opposite direction. <laughs> um, because there is a thing, I think, with some people, like he said, this happened to another guy, in a French pilot once. It's just that sometimes when you're doing really bad, it's it's like it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah. You're, and, you're uh, not the guy to bet on you, at the craps table. No, yeah. It's like you're a cooler. Right. Um <laughs> And, and so that, that was kind of where I was. And so it just keep getting, it kept getting worse and worse. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I just don't care. I just want to land by a road. Uh, if I was going to land, um, the funny, you know, a couple of funny things was, you know, Torsten said he'd never searched the bottom of the list, you know, to see, you know, he would, he would look for his results at the top because he was like in the top three. And then he's like, and then I would scroll all the way to the bottom to see if you made it, you know, if you did it, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I did it. I last place. Cause there was, there was a French girl who had like broken her foot or something and didn't fly for three days. Uh, and because of FTV, she beat me in the end, you know, <laughs> but it was close right up to the last day. You know, it was me and her fighting for last, and you did um, it. but she, 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 yeah, she, I persevered, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, she could quite you know, mess with my team, my team loser status. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, but I stayed and, and, you know, you stay and celebrate the winner and, you know, huge congratulations to Michael Kofer for flying out that that's a tricky place to fly. And he flew consistently and, and crushed it. And it was awesome to be there and party with him and celebrate. Um, and I got a great photo that, you know, with he and I, uh, you know, so it's, if you're not first, you're last kind of bookends of pilots for the PWC in Brazil. So it seems to me like, um, you know, the, the world cup's kind of one thing because of the shoulder and, and, uh, just, you know, at some point there was probably just this like, fuck it, you know? And, uh, but with the, yeah. with the Pan Ams, you know, two days crushing. So, I mean, cause this has happened to me and I, and I, and I'm, I try to do like you, I try to write it down and log it and try to figure it out. And my problem is always discipline. Um, but you know, when you go from, you know, hero to you, you really in the Pan Ams, you kind of had that one from, from my perspective, you, you kind of had, you just had to fly discipline and you would have wanted more, you know, or you would have done pretty well. Was that, was that a mental thing or was it just, were you pushing too hard? Were you, was it, was there something that you could identify that was like, yeah, I, I blew that or was it just paragliding and it just luck? No, I blew that. That was the biggest lead I've ever blown. Um, I mean, with FTV, I just had to come in decent one day, and I think I would have won. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, that's the biggest lead I've ever blown. But, you know, I hadn't been racing in the last couple of years. Um, I, I think it was discipline. I also think my shoulder was starting to hurt. So I got I got home, and I did eventually. I was like, man, this shoulder, I got an MRI, and I have a torn part of my shoulder. Mm. Um, and it needs surgery. It's fully torn. And if I take care of it and, all, and do all the things that need to do, it's usable. You know, that, and that's the thing. At Rat Race, I was taking 12 ibuprofen a day. Um, which the doctor said is okay. And then putting some, uh, this hemp oil mm-hmm. on it topically. Um, and, and that was really helpful. So, but point is there, there was a real injury. Um, I think that was, I, I think I just blew it, but it, you know, at the Pan Ams, um, in terms of, I made really poor decisions. I started flying a little bit desperate. I started flying, um, you know, not, not good tactically, not a good tactical flying decisions. The first two days I flew great tactically. Hmm. Uh, and no matter what, you can't, you can't, you know, outmaneuver, you know, the other pilots, uh, with bad decisions. Hmm. Uh, so I, you know, but I also think it was also just, like I said, the, the balance was starting to creep again in terms of me being, and I really wasn't having a ton of fun. 
I wasn't happy up there. You know, I was kind of, it was just was, you know, it started becoming kind of annoying hmm. to, to, to go to launch, you know, uh, we couldn't get to launch a bunch of the days. I think also I just let a bunch of external factors influence, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's all about just staying calm and enjoying the process. Um, if you can't get to launch, it's cool. You know, uh, if it's, if it's, you know, you think, oh, well, we may not fly today. Always be prepared to fly today. Uh, you know, always be positive. And, and I think for me, that's the number one, number one thing. And then, and you know, if you're positive, you're always prepared to fly, you're flying as decently tactically, you're going to make some mistakes. That's all you can do. And then it's just you, uh, you know, versus the, the, the course versus you versus the pilot, you know? And I think if you're racing the course, that's the that's the way forward. You're not racing the other pilots. They're there to help you. That's, that's um, really good and, advice. And and if and if you can if you can do that, you you usually come out pretty good. So before we started recording, you you had some really good thoughts on like the team loser thing. You know, like how do you how do you go from <laughs> uh, yeah it, the strategy yeah. Of, of flying the course, but also uh, you know you were talking about like like day one at the rat race. You know, you're leading. Uh, you know, you're with the lead gaggle and, and, uh, I, I can't even remember what happened. Was it the first day or second day? Anyway, you, you had one of the days where you didn't make it. And the second day. The second day, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, well, the second day I got dropped, but I was able, so yeah, so I think I know where you're going. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things, we have this thing called Team Loser in America and there's a, there's a Facebook page, which is hysterical. You guys should all check it out. Um, but you know, we, we basically, we had this group of people that we, you know, we were losers. Um, we had come from a, you know, long tradition of probably ADD and getting ahead of ourselves. And so it learned at an early age that generally we were going to fuck up at some point and would need to apologize or, uh, you know, we just, the, the, you know, not be the, you know, we weren't true winners. And I, and I think that it's a really funny philosophical kind of group. So there's winners and losers, right? And you can see, like, if you ask somebody, like, hey, you want to be on Team Loser, and they're a real winner, they can't, That you can see their eyes start to twitch um, because they don't identify as a loser. They're real winners. You know, they're the go-getters. They're the doers. They're the, you know, the they're best and the brightest, and they went to an Ivy League, and, you know, and they've always been winning. Um, but a loser, like, you know, myself and a group of us, um, we, I think, we failed a lot more, and we're able to, and so, therefore, had to pick ourselves up more, mm. right? Mm. Um, and I think that that comes into play in competition paragliding. Again, I, I think paragliding is the perfect mixture for ADD kind of, you know, individuals to a certain level of ADD. Um, and, and this is another example of how it benefits us to have, have been losers for before we started paragliding. Um, so that, you know, we're, we're disappointed and, and bummed as much as anyone if we bomb out. But we can also go, all right, well, you know, tomorrow's a new day. You know, let's let's see what, what goes on. Um, and, and now with FTV, we've seen, you know, over and over that if you just keep racing the course as well as you possibly can, all you can do is as good as you can anyway, mm. you know, you can't, you know, and that's uh, maybe Facebook's bringing us down a bad road that way. We're always trying to do as good as we keep up with the Joneses, right. Yeah. You know, but really all we can do is as well as each of us can. Um, and so as long as you do that and keep moving forward, you'll usually end up in a good spot. So, you know, that's, that I think being a loser inevitably will help you win in paragliding. So did you do anything between, you know, we, we've had a terrifically bad spring of flying. All of us all over the West has just been brutal. You know, there's a day here or there at best. And so I know uh, because I watch XC flying like a hawk that, you know, and I always watch for your flights out in Nevada and stuff. And, you know, you, you've had a couple with Josh and, but between the World Cup and, 
rat race. None of us got really that much time. And so yeah. did you do, did you I, do I anything? Did you, did you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you like mentally, did you do anything? I mean, how did, how did you just, you know, to me, you showed up and you were like, I got this. Did that, did that yeah. just happen? Well, for me, it was all about my, my shoulder. It was really? just about taking, being, you know, yeah, I just had to, I, because like I said, the discomfort. And so look, your shoulder, your shoulder in quotes can be different things, but something that's making you uncomfortable, whether it's mentally, whether it's, uh, you know, your equipment, whether it's the conditions, whatever is making you uncomfortable, that needs to be identified and addressed for you to perform. Right. We always joke about the beta blockers in the Swiss team, you know, mm. they're, so, they're so calm mm. and they're able to, and, but that is truly, that's it. So whatever your shoulder is, we use the shoulder as a, you know, this ambiguous thing for each of us. Um, you know, I guess a heel is what we say in, in American English, whatever your heel is, mm. your Achilles, um, that is what needs to be addressed. So for me, I, I needed to address my shoulder, um, in terms of, I just had to get it to a place where I could actually fly without pain. And so even on the practice day, I only flew for an hour because I was worried, uh, like, oh, I don't want to use up my shoulder or yeah. like, you know, I would launch late too each day. If the, if the cylinder was right over launch, I would wait. 45 minutes um, because I was like, well, that's 45 minutes. I don't have to fly with my shoulder, you know, and it worked. My shoulder felt great. And, and, and then as well, I just tried to have fun, mm. you know, it's, it, it, that was for me was the, is the, you know, we have our things, but for me, if I'm having fun, you know, then everything else falls into place. Yeah. Um, and so I just tried to have fun and enjoy my time there uh, with you and with all the other pilots that I get to, you know, you, when we would fly up, I was just so psyched to be flying with my friends and, and also just be flying because we haven't, you know, I only flew twice in, since between Brazil and, but, uh, you know, for after Brazil, it took me six weeks to get my shoulder not to be just inflamed as all hell. And so, you know, that, that also is why I didn't fly because I just needed to rest it. Tell me about some, some of the specific things that you remember doing that, you know, it, it, maybe afterwards you went, yeah, that really paid off. Um, you know, the strategy tactics or, you know, I, God forbid I should compare our sport to golf, but, you know, in, in terms of mentally, uh, and I'm not a golfer, but my dad was, and my sister was, and, you know, they always talk about, you know, five hours a day for five days is really hard to keep your shit together. You know, it just one shot is all it takes to blow your whole comp and paragliding with FDV. It's maybe not that harsh, but it's, you know, it's kind of like that. It's really, you know, once we step off the mountain, it really is almost all mental, um, you know, in these long comps like rat race where it's seven days for sure, there's some physical component to it. But what did you, you know, after the first couple of days, you're back in the swing of things, you're climbing well, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're up on top of the, the gaggles every day. You're, you know, you're like, yeah, I can, I can win this. Then what do you do? You know, how, how do you, how do you, how do you address I, well, I each day? Take it day by day. Yeah. Don't don't think I can win this. You know, don't. It's just day by day. It's like, hey, I'm out here with my buddies again today. Let's have one. Mm. You know. Um, and then you know the key, the key is you know I think you know Mitch brought up a really like, no compounding mistakes. There were some you know some some talks on launch that I learned stuff from. So uh, you know no compounding mistakes. If you do get left behind, just fly as well as you can. I, I mean I got left behind one day by 15k. But luckily, so did Donizete and Matt Henze. And so we had a, a perfect group to rage back, and we ended up finishing. You know, you crushed that day. I think we were uh, 10 minutes behind you. But, you know, there was only you and Brad and then mm -hmm. the whole rest of the, our group. So, you know, flying again, flying the course, flying as good as you can, taking it just, you know, day by day, not, not thinking about the win. But then, you know, once I did get in the lead, 
reeling it back. And, you know, so it's, it's what, if you crack off good, good flights in the beginning, you can have a good result. You can, you know, coming into goal one day, uh, you know, I let, I could let Mitch go and, and, and I could slow back down. And so just being conservative sometimes, you know, when, when that called for, so the, the tactics definitely, you know, change a little bit, just like in bike racing or anything, if you have a lead, um, it, it's really difficult with FTV though. Cause I have no, you have yeah, no clue yeah, what really yeah. <laughs> for me, I mean, I can't figure out the scoring formula, I, uh, you know, and, and we had some problems with ours and they sent it to York. He's like, yeah, it's messed up. So I think no one can figure out the scoring formula. Um, and that, that's kind of disappointing. I, I hope that they can fix that at some point. Someone, you know, people smarter than us. So you, um, you do, because that's kind of bogus. Like verbally when you're with your friends and stuff, you, you know, the reason we all love to hang out with you is because you're freaking hysterical. And, but and one of the things you do is kind of this like oh dude i'm i'm for sure gonna blow it tomorrow uh is that just for us is that just entertainment or is that you know because when i read like the psychology mitch inspired me to like start reading more psychology and josh did too he talked about you know that that that's how he's become kind of the bot is he's he read all this psychology and you know like kind of the Belcourt like bringing it thing like the the psychology the optimistic self-talk you're the opposite of that you're always like yep yeah, i'm definitely gonna fuck it up tomorrow. <laughs> is, is that just for our entertainment is that what you're is that actually what's going through your head or oh no i've never thought of it uh maybe i do that subconsciously no i mean i think you know i'm a i'm a i definitely like myself less than most people um and and so yeah i don't know and like i said i am a loser and so you know i've blown leads before so i'm like oh god but no you're right i should stop doing that i mean really i should it's I mean, and, and the truth is when I'm up raging, I'm and I, and I know I'm having one, I know I'm having one. Like I know when I'm in the zone. Mm. So that's kind of cool. So, you know, but when I'm standing on the ground talking shit, I'm not gonna be like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna fuck people up tomorrow. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, nah, no. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Um, because that's the truth to me. But when I, so to me, it's a bit more about being truthful versus self-fulfilling. Cause when I'm up there and I'm like, Oh, I'm on one, I go, yeah. you know, that's when I, you'll see, I'll push out, I'll leave. I don't care who's with me, you know? Um, but, but I could, but so I do know when I'm in the zone, you know? And so that's kind of cool. Is there anything you can do uh, to the get in the, the zone? Time, I mean, how, how can we know? It's like, you like, you you know, paragliding, like I bombed out one day being stupid. I, I wasn't, again, I wasn't sleeping that great. And, you know, luckily that night I got a great night's sleep and I was, I'm like, this is the best I've felt all comp. It was day seven, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's interesting to think. I've never thought about it, but I'll, I'll take that back and think about that. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, it's interesting because I've, I've been trying to, uh, you know, they, they just talk about in these, in these books and this is not, I'm not on this like self-help kick, God forbid. It's not like that. No, it's no, it's, no, it's no. more that's, just, that's I've, fine I've, too. I've been reading this guy that was a shooter and, uh, you know, he just wasn't an athlete, couldn't, you know, was last to get picked on the baseball team and basketball team and everything track and field. And his dad was an athlete. And so it really bummed him out. And he, be, he just became one of the best shooters in the world, you know, three Olympics and all this stuff. And it was just from training, but also he has this kind of mental approach of just, you've, you've got to talk yourself into being a winner. You got to talk yourself into being like, I'm good at this. And, uh, and I think that's what Mitch brought up at the, at the thing. And so I, I, I'm, but I'm curious because in paragliding, you know, you have these, like you said, it's, it's, it's manic. Um, and, and I'm wondering what your self-talk was that week. And especially as the week went on, um, uh, you know, was there, like you said, you, you know, you were, you were disciplined about your strategy, like, Hey, okay, now I don't need to win every day. All I need to do is just 
don't let anybody get too far out. You know, I need to be disciplined now. But was there was there other self-talk that was going on that was like, like I'm talking about during the comp, like once you've launched after the start? Um, yeah, after the start, I think, um, well, every, you know, for me, competition is, is about getting, if I'm doing it well, I'm in a really good routine. You know, um, so, you know, you notice I showed up every day right in the morning at a certain time mm-hmm. because for me, it's all about a routine. So it's I, you know, I get into this routine of and that's the Groundhog Day. And that's the beauty of it where, you know, I'll have my coffee at the same time in the morning. Usually I like to work for two hours before the competition so that I can feel like, OK, you should, you know, I've, I've done with my work for the day at least to hold it off. Uh, and then come meet everyone and then, um, and then just try to keep keeping the energy low there. Uh, and then, you know, like to launch so that there's a routine It happens the same every day. And that to me is really important, uh, in terms of keeping my energy where it should be at the times it should be. Uh, and then on launch, those talks are a little distracting actually. Um, but even on launch, they changed the, the, the launch thing once. I don't know if you remember that where they put the board out one day mm-hmm. so that everybody could program mm-hmm. during the, and that's the day I sunk out was because then I felt like I, I mean, that's not the reason why yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you feel like you're off the back. I was off the back the whole time. I, yeah. I didn't, my launch without my instruments on. I want, you know, like I was like, you know, and I felt like people got ahead of me. So I do think that there's psychology in that, you know? And so whatever I, there, there also, I just was tired. It was, and I was, you know, it was day six. Uh, I, I wasn't flying well, but while I'm up there, no, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just trying to focus on having fun and flying cross country. And we, you know, I mean, I know that I've flown paraglides cross country and race and more races than most of the people, the competition. So I, I, in terms of experience, I have no excuse, Mm. you know, there's no, there's nothing holding back. I have the best equipment I can have. There's no excuses there. Um, and so then it all just comes down to having fun. And if I have fun, I feel like I can win anywhere, you know? Uh, and, and so to me, I guess it's, that's just focusing on that, but that's why it's so important to deal with all these other things for me, whether it's, you know, the, the, the PTSD or, uh, not having your gear ready or whatever it may be so that it's worth it for us. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, otherwise if I'm up there and it's not that fun and I'm kind of stressed and I don't like this, I don't like that. Then that balance starts to tip for me in terms of this isn't worth the risk. The reward isn't worth the risk. It's it's only when I'm really having fun and I'm like, wow, look at the earth. It's we're up here. What an amazing sport! I can't believe we get to do this. I mean, I guess that's the self talk that's going through my head uh, when I'm doing well. Uh, and I'm up here with my friends and oh, how cool! There's Gavin. What's up? You know, and and if and if you know that that is to me, then it's because the scales are tipping back. Oh, this is totally worth it. I'm worth, this is worth it to me to risk. I, I can mitigate the risk with, with practice and skill. And, and therefore I'm, I'm stoked to be up here. Uh, so I don't know. I ask myself that a lot. And now flying cross country, I go land if I'm not happy. You know, I yeah, used to I just grind it out or I don't even go launch. I don't even go to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd go, you know, I'm not, I'm not stoked. Why would I, I'm just going to go mountain biking or I'm going to do something else. And so I, th- I think being truly honest and listening to your gut, uh, it, it will make you a better pilot. So all these things, that's the funny part is that it's not just, you know, these foo-foo things. They're actually, this is all performance-driven suggestions, you know. Have you ever noticed, you mentioned flow, and I think that this is a common 
theme uh, with 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 flying with human flight these days and just in life there's been a lot of research and stuff on Adele Haunty one of my my guests a few episodes back talked a lot about flow if, if you talk and it's, I think it's something we've all experienced in flying at, at certain times um you know certainly I've had days in the X Alps where uh, there's just amazing flow and other days where you're like yep there's no flow here there's zero mm-hmm. um how do you have you ever identified like a way to enter it or you, you know you've, you've said you know, there, there are days where you're racing you're just like i've got it i i, I have this and mm-hmm. then other days where it's more mm-hmm. of a struggle have you ever noticed like what maybe leads you to that or what is it or or does it just kind of happen because i i never have i've never figured that out i've never figured out that equation like sometimes it's just going you know and other times it's like fuck man, yeah. i can't find it yeah for me it's i think it's routine you know is like it? i was saying yeah. i develop that routine and i don't try to deviate from it and that, that gives me my best chance of getting into it i think too the key and one of the reasons i did well is because you also need to know when your flow is over you sometimes you only get flow for a little bit mm. and that's fine mm. don't don't be afraid don't be mad at that take that as a bonus and then kind of just then i just start bumbling around until i can like get back into a rhythm Mm. Um, but the, the beautiful thing about competing is you'll have other people to work with you until you get back into it. Yeah. Um, for me, it often takes eating, you know, just as long as I'm keeping my mind fed, I can stay in a good state. Um, but that's once an hour eating and drinking, eating and drinking. I know you've, you've heard me talk about that incessantly, but I think that's because for me, um, my form of ADD or just my whatever neurochemical composition, it, it needs, it needs that food and needs sugars, um, it needs proteins, uh, in order to stay in a flow, um, and, or just even in a rhythm, mm. you know? Uh, but I think, I think it's that just like bad decisions compounding each other, I think flow can compound each other. So when you're in it, go have one, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. And so I say, and I think it will perpetuate itself, but you know, like when I, if I get gobbled up by the, by the gaggle nowadays, I'm like, cool, there's all my friends. I guess that was fun. You know, I'm going to fly with them now. And I think that often you see the newer comp pilots who are doing well, as soon as they get gaggled up, uh, you know, gobbled up by the gaggle, they, they try to push on low. And so that's, that's another I, kind of psychological switch that's happened in recent years for me. One of the things that I, I'm noticing, um, you know, like on, on Instagram, I see like the best of the best of so Chevy and Aaron Duragati and Siegel and they take a lot of photos. Fo- they're like you. They take a lot of photos at comps. Um, and I'm always, I used to look at that and go, God, I can't imagine, you know, I, I'm focused so hard in, in comps and I'm thinking so much and I'm strategizing so much. And I, you know, and I often like when I fly XC here, I also eat every hour. And then I go to a comp and I'm like, ah, oh, come on, this is three hours. I don't need to do that. But do you, I think that I've been wrong about that. I think like you're saying when, you know, when you're taking pictures and you're having fun, you relax, you, you're, you're, you're stepping yeah. back out of the moment a little bit and you're just enjoying it. And therefore you fly better. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a, there's a breaking point, but like in photos, for example, I'll take photos, you know, when I'm like at the beginning, before the start, it's an hour and a half before the start. Yeah. It gives me something to do, uh, you know? Right. Um, and, it and so I'll do it then. then. Yeah. Well, it, it gives you a shift. And then I go, okay, I put it away. Now, this is what I'm doing more of now. Okay, now it's time to put it away and dive into what, you know, like the real, what I need to be doing. And so it also just gives me a break, you know. Um, and then some days it's like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. You don't even pull it out, you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it, I think arguably photography could be an interesting tool for advanced pilots to give yourself breaks and be able to, you know, come out the other side, uh, having like kind of refreshed, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that, I think that's what that eating does as well, or even just peeing, you know, the, all these things are just little things where you're like, okay, you know what, actually 
blowing this glide a tiny bit is not going to be that big a deal. You know, it's going to make me more comfortable. I'm going to yeah. be better prepared, you know, and all that. You know, you kind of learn that you just don't need to be hammering all the time. Well, I, I, my climbing suffers if I'm not eating. Yeah. I can tell. I, I, I know for sure. Because as soon as I eat, I'm like, yep, back here, you know, good. Now I'm feeling good again. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of funny. I, I even like, oh, I forgot to eat because I'm climbing like shit. I can tell, you know. You, so I, I think there's a lot to it. So, well, yeah, why would you, you know, this is just like any race. Yeah, and these yeah, are these yeah. you know, rhythms, these these patterns, you know, it's like, yeah, if you train one way, you train at home, you eat once an hour. When you go to the race, well, eat once an hour, even if it's an hour long, you know. What did you learn from Donizetti? That was really cool for all of us. I know Mitch made a bunch of comments about like him turning way wider and, and just he was at Donizetti was out climbing him all the time. So Mitch was like, I got to figure this out. Uh, that was really, that was really cool and useful for all of us because we all fly with all of us all the time. And it was really neat to have somebody from a different continent who's really awesome, who has flown as far as the farthest flight that's ever been done. Um, just total badass. Twice. What's that? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Twice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What? Five sixty four. That's that's not bad. Um, yeah. What, what did you What did you learn from him? Because you guys were were having a killer battle right till the end. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was just a real joy to fly with him. I mean, that's the thing. The beauty of this sport is the in competitions at the top level. I am thrilled to fly with that. That was it. It was a, a true joy to fly with him. And it was cool to watch him, um, you know, basically team fly, you know, and even, even on the practice days with me, he, you know, we, we would be pointing and helping each other. And, and, um, and I don't know if you guys realize that, but yeah, generally we were both helping each other as much as possible. And that's what, you know, a lot of people do. It's like, Hey, look, it's, we're all in this together to the last 15 K, you know, and the faster that we can rally through here and get ahead of the next pack, the better. So, you know, so he was, he was just a real pleasure to fly with because he has so much experience flying in a, in a, um, in a, in a joint manner with other people for, to, to reach success. So, um, it's just, I'm really, I'm psyched that we have someone else uh, in our community. It's really fun to be in a position, you know, where we're always welcoming people, um, you know, in the sense that it's never overcrowded in the U S for great pilots. So anybody that wants to come race with us, please come over. We'll show you a real good time. Yeah. Well, talking about a real good time and a real good race and a real good location. Uh, what are your takeaways from the rat race going into Chelan? Is there, is there more pressure? Is there less pressure? Is there, are you just stoked? Um, you know, what, what, what will you take away from, you know, what will you bring to that race that, uh, that came out of the rat race? Yeah. You know, clean slate, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel a little better. I mean, coming back from, uh, from the world cup, I was like, wow, you know, maybe if this is over, I'll never race well again. I mean, obviously those, these thoughts go through your head. True. Um, not that that's, going to be the end all for my life and how I'll be noted at when I'm gone. But, um, you know, you think about that, you're like, Oh man, maybe this is over, you know, like that's last place is, you know, while it's really funny and, and, and I, I am proud cause it's very difficult to really come in last place, um, and be trying, you know, not be injured. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's the same. It can happen again. You know, that's the thing with paragliding racing. You know, if you look at the competitions, it's very few people, once the wings were all equal, have dominated a paragliding competition. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, super final of, last year, year after, after what Aaron won twice. And then last year, I think he was in the 80s. You know, it's just, it's paragliding. Yeah, you it's know? just how it goes. 
Yeah. So no, I'm just thrilled for Chelan. That's my favorite place in the world to race. And so, um, um, yeah, I'm just psyched to be there with all you guys and Nate's come in and, you know, we're going to have a great group of people, Mickey Siegel and her show hour. And it'll just be, you know, I'm just really enjoying more and more the, these races, we get to fly with my friends, you know, I get to fly with my friends and that I don't get to fly with anybody uh, anymore, you know, mm-hmm. hardly where I live. Um, and so it's just a real great opportunity to be in a cool place, fly with my friends. So that's what I'm taking into it. Nick, before we sign off, cause there's a ton of good stuff here. You, you, you said that, you know, you had the Kenya thing. Um, and then there were a couple others. Did, do you want to go into those before, before we depart? No, no. I think, I mean, I think we're, people get the idea. My, my point, you know, and I, and I hope if people can take away from this is that it's okay, you know, to, to, and, and maybe because we're so crazy, we even have to say this, you know, I think a lot of us smarter people just have left the sport earlier, you know, once one thing happens. Um, but the fact that we have to, you know, to me, uh, being the hard headed, you know, kind of crazy drive, you know, paraglider driver that I am, you know, it's okay to, to process and deal with these things and, and your friends are there for you and talk about it. And, and you know, what, whatever that may be, maybe it's something else, but if you want to increase your performance, you know, and you're not doing as well as you want to be, I think that you need to look at what's actually truly affecting you and then deal with whatever that is. So that, that's my takeaway. Great advice, Nick. Thank you so much, man. This was uh really special. I, I really appreciate it. I can't wait to race with you, dude, again in Chelan. It's going to yeah, be so man, fun. I know. And, I know. Uh, it was just awesome to I watch you wait. rock that thing. That was, that was a really cool, well, <laughs> that was, I was witness to something very special there. That was super fun and just a great week of racing. They did an awesome job putting that on, but um, thank you for sharing uh, all that. Well, Gavin, thank you. And thank you for this resource. I, I hear so many pilots all over the world grateful for this. This is the biggest educational tool that's uh, arguably ever been in the sport. So keep it up. And, uh, and thank you for uh, working on that global rescue thing. Yushva is, is now able to offer that to its members. Uh, and a huge part of that is because of you. So, uh, and that's, a, you know, as you know, I'm a big proponent in all that rescue insurance. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, uh, Gavin, for all that you do and, and keep doing it, man. It's, it's, it's really helping. And it's, I think it's making pilot lives better. So thanks. That's awesome. Well, it certainly is a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. All right. See ya. I hope you enjoyed that. Always fun to hear from Nick. Uh, And that going from zero to hero is uh, is pretty entertaining. It's going to be fun to race with them here in Chelan, one of the greatest places to race in the world, in my mind, here in a couple weeks. But... Uh, as always, all we ask for a buck is a buck a show. If you've enjoyed the show or you got something out of it, or if you're just discovering the show, please go back and check out all the many, many, many hours of incredible advice like this show was from Nick Reese, uh, Russ Ogden, and Will Gadd, and Nate Scales, and Cedar Wright, and there's just there's some terrific content there. So uh, go back and check those out. And, and yet, if, if you can't afford it, we totally understand. There's, there are many ways to support the show. You can blog about it. You can share it on Facebook or Instagram or however you talk to your friends. You can talk about it on the way up to launch. That's what I just heard at the Rat Race. People are doing a lot of is, you know, listening to the podcast and then have dis- having discussions on the way up. Like, hey, what would you think about this? Did you agree with that? Um, that's all very cool as well. So it's awesome that the word is spreading. It's so, it's so fantastic that so many people are listening. It's a real joy to bring to you. Uh, you can find other ways to support the show at the website, cloudbasedmayhem.com, and just click on support. 
and uh, you can do it on a one-time basis through PayPal or you can sign up through Patreon and be rewarded for doing so or you can kind of just set it forget it so it uh, wouldn't be possible without you our listeners making this possible so thank you very much and we'll see you on the next show cheers cheers